Thanks for listening to the Woodward Podcast Network. Check out more shows by searching for us on Spreaker or wherever you catch your podcasts. The Woodward Podcast Network with Krupka Dental Associates. Hello, this is Dr. John Krupka from Krupka Dental. We now have the Saleo Laser. You can have your fillings done without needles nor drills. We are a full-service dental office and always accepting new patients. To learn more about me and my friendly team, visit KrupkaDental.com. Whether you're in your garden or hiking through the woods, we have you covered. Call now with your outdoor questions. In Appleton, call 281-1150 or outside the valley, 866-887-1150. From the Myron Construction Studio of WHBY, it's Outdoors with Rob Zimmer. Brought to you by Dimensions Living Appleton. Good morning. Hi, everybody. Welcome in to a Friday edition and Outdoors with Rob Zimmer here on WHBY. I'm Haley Tenpass. Phone lines are wide open for you, 920-281-1150, if you'd like to join in on the conversation. Rob Zimmer, of course, is with me today. Good morning, Rob. Good morning. How are you? I am wonderful. What a week we've had. Oh, my gosh. It's been summer all week. Even this morning, even though they said last night and this morning we're supposed to be so... Uh, cruddy. It was actually beautiful this morning. It's mm-hmm. in the 60s. It's warm. It's The sun was out for a little while. Beautiful. Now the clouds are moving in. They are. <laughs> and maybe some rain. It, it keeps looking like it's dying out when it comes this way. So hopefully we'll get some. We need it, actually. We do need the rain. We need the rain. I want to also mention, if you can't call in today, that's all right. We get it. Sometimes you're at work listening or maybe you're just not ready to talk with us on the air. We get that, too. You can always email the studio. Head to whby.com. Click on email email the studio and that's a great way for you to get your questions or outdoor uh chatter on mm-hmm. the air with us here today your sightings that's what mm-hmm. the one thing i really want to hear from you this week is if you've seen any cool birds at your feeder i i, uh, I posted a little blurb earlier this week evening gross beaks which are really cool birds that i'll talk about later in the show they're like a yellow and bronze cardinal they're in the same family as cardinals but they've been showing up in big numbers this past week from, especially in, uh, here in eastern Wisconsin, from like Green Bay, Appleton, Manitowoc, all the way south to Milwaukee, um, people are seeing a lot of them. And they're really cool birds, and they eat the same things cardinals eat, so your striped sunflower and your black oil sunflower and your safflower, and they're actually very close relatives of the cardinal. They're in the grosbeak family, just like cardinals. So if you've seen some at your feeder, and a couple of people have messaged me on my page saying they have, uh, give us a call. Also, monarchs. There were still lots of monarchs migrating this week because it's been so warm. Uh, I saw several. Um, my friend Bob at High Cliff said he saw three or four up there. Uh, lots of different, um, lots of monarchs still flying around, and lots of other birds moving in too. And something else, a totally different topic, that I want you to think about and call in on is. Uh, how do you get your children into nature and gardening? Or how did you get into nature and gardening? Maybe you learned from your from your grandparents or your parents. Uh, it's something that's very important to me. And I posted on my Facebook page this, this week. It was my dad's birthday. And a lot of you know who've listened to my show forever know that I've talked about him every year. He's the one who got me started in nature and gardening, uh, mostly by hunting, by going out and killing the birds I love so much. But <laughs> uh, it's a great way to get out there and get experience in nature and learn about nature. And I want to kind of hear from you how your parents or grandparents got you into nature as a child or what you're doing specifically to uh, help your children get into nature and gardening. Uh, And then I have lots of other, I have a lot of stuff to talk about today. So 
We'll be busy. Lots of stuff happening in the sky next week, so hopefully we get some clear nights. There's an eclipse, there's a full moon, there's meteor showers, there's all sorts of things happening all next week, so we'll talk about that too. Excellent. All right, one more time, that phone number, 920-281-1150. If you'd like to join us with your ideas for getting kids outdoors, mm-hmm. I'll take them. I love all the ideas. Yeah, Other or your own just experiences. just kind of shoving them outside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that play, works. But it does work sometimes, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, or you can email the studio. Go to whby.com, click email the studio. Yes. And speaking of Cardinals, I was talking about Cardinals before in Evening Growth Speaks. I do have part of my big part of my show today that I had planned before I came up with all these other ideas was to talk all about Cardinals since November really starts Cardinal season here in Wisconsin, November all the way through uh, March, really. Um, I was going to give you just tons and tons of cool information about Cardinals, uh, and I'll do that later in the show, too. And if you have a cool Cardinal story, you know, if a Cardinal reminds you of someone or if you had an amazing Cardinal um, event at your feeders. I remember, I think it was Joe who called in last year who had like 12 pairs of cardinals at his feeder. Remember that? It's beautiful. So if you have a story like that, give us a call also. And then my top 10 list today is going to be totally, completely flipping and off-related or unrelated. It's going to be top 10. This is by request. Top 10 house plants for low light or no light. So uh, that was a request that I got. And then I have some reader questions too. So lots to talk about today and we can... Get started anytime you call. <laughs> All right. Let's start with the skies. You mentioned you wanted yes, to talk about some birds. I do. And I think this is a, uh, a good thing because then I'll, we don't have trees to look at. So keep yeah. looking up and look into the skies yeah. for the birds. Yeah. And not just the birds, but this coming week, uh, Tuesday, I think it's Tuesday, the 8th is going to be a big day. Hopefully it's clear. Um, it looks like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday should be at least partly clear, so we should be able to see uh, the night sky. But we have a total lunar eclipse coming on Tuesday morning. Uh, it's not like the normal ones that are in the evening. This one's going to be at 4 o'clock in the morning or 5 oh, o'clock wow. in the morning. So you need to be up on Tuesday really early in the morning to see this. Um, and then, of course, at the same time, because a total lunar eclipse happens in a full moon, it's also the full November moon, which is called the beaver moon. Because uh, this time of year is when the beavers are really busy Hmm. chopping down their trees and making their lodges and dams and everything. So we have the full beaver moon. I think it's called the full total blood moon beaver moon eclipse or something like that. Because it's also the blood moon. Because anytime there's a lunar eclipse, the moon appears red during the eclipse just because of the way the light is reflected or refracted actually. So. We'll talk about that. Um, So that's going to come up Tuesday. It looks like the peak or the partial eclipse begins at 2 a.m. on Tuesday. So this is, again, early morning Tuesday. You know, most of the total eclipses we get of the moon usually happen around 9 or 10 at night. But this one's kind of weird. It's happening early, early in the morning uh, before the sun rises. So it starts, the partial eclipse begins at about 2 a.m. our time. So that's when you'll start to see the colors change and start to see the shadow. The full eclipse begins at 4.16 a.m. So about 4.16 a.m. is when the moon will be completely covered um, by the Earth's shadow. And that's going to last about an hour. So the maximum total eclipse is going to be at 4.59 a.m. So if you can get up at 5 a.m. on Tuesday and it's clear uh, and it's going to be in the western sky you know, normally the eclipses are in the eastern sky because they're happening when it's rising. This one's kind of the opposite. It's going to be when the moon is um, setting. Uh, so 4.59. The full eclipse ends at 5.41 a.m., so almost 6 o'clock. And it's not light out now until, well, I guess after 
Well, after saving, the same time changes, it's going to be yeah. starting to get light by then. The full eclipse ends at 541, and the partial eclipse ends at 649. So that's really almost five hours of eclipse time there. So hopefully you can get up and see part of it. Again, the full part is going to be between 4 a.m. and 5 a.m. That's going to be the, the total full eclipse of the moon. And it's going to be really cool. So hopefully you can get up and see that. At the same time um, as the full as the eclipse, it is the full beaver moon, obviously, too, that day. Um, there are also, you've probably been hearing about this, um, November, just about any night in November, you can go out and look at the clear skies and see meteors. There are several different meteor showers happening at the same time. Uh, the Leonid meteor showers, which happened last month that we were talking about last month already, uh, they're peaking right now. The peak is actually November 18th. Um, and they go, they'll go all the way through early December, but the peak is November 18th. The Orionids, that's the one we talked about last time, not the Leonids. The Orionids, they're happening right now. They'll go till November 22nd. And then there's the Torrid meteor shower. Uh, there's kind of two waves of those. There's what's called the Northern Torrids and the Southern Torrids, uh, and they're called the Torrids because they come out of the, the constellation Taurus. Uh, those are, they peak between November fourth and fifth so that's right now um it looks like it's gonna be cloudy tonight obviously and tomorrow so you might not get to see them but they last until december 2nd so you can see the the meteor showers until december 2nd and then later in november the 11th and the 12th that's when the southern torrids um come and the torrids are are unique and they're well known because they instead of just making a streak across the sky they make like fireballs so they're really cool uh, if you see them. And then starting on November 19th, the other big meteor shower is the Geminids, and that goes from 11, uh, uh, November 19th till December 24th. So November is meteor shower month, as long as we get some clear skies. So, so much happening in the night sky this weekend. Thankfully, it gets dark early after Sunday, so you can get out and see some of this stuff early. There's, of course, the planets and the stars. You know, you see Venus and Jupiter and Saturn and Uranus and um, the constellations. Orion and the Big Dipper are two of my favorites this time of year, uh, and Cassiopeia, the queen, which is the W. So, so much to get out and see this month, or actually this week, this coming week. Uh, and the next total lunar eclipse won't be until 2025, mm. so make sure you catch this one because the next one's not until March of 2025. All right. That's what's up. Uh, literally. <laughs> That's what's up, literally. Uh, and it won't be super freezing cold either mm -hmm. to uh, enjoy these these sights as well yeah, overnight. So. That's the nice thing. I mean, I remember earlier this week they were saying that after this big 70-degree stretch, it was going to get super cold. There's really nothing cold in the forecast. It's upper 50s and 60s all the way through next Thursday at least. So it, it's not no big cold coming. All right. We'll, uh, we'll take a pause for, for now. A reminder that our phone lines are open, though, 920-281-1150. If you'd like to chat with Rob Zimmer, ask him a question. He is here for you. You can also email the studio. Visit whby.com. Click on Email the Studio. We'll be back in just a bit. Welcome back. It's Outdoors with Rob Zimmer on WHBY. Phone lines are open, 920-281-1150. We'd love to hear from you today. We're talking all sorts of things. Uh, memories of, of out, outdoors, of course, are always welcome. But specifically mm -hmm. today, we're looking for your ideas and getting kids interested in heading outside. What did you do? Was it visiting? 
a nature preserve? Was it getting them in a class? Was it simply walking around your yard or neighborhood or finding area trails? What did you do? Tell us about it. We'd love to hear mm-hmm. it. And uh, phone lines are open for you as well. Stick around for Rob's top 10 list, which will be the top 10 house plants for low light areas. I love this idea, especially mm-hmm. since so many people are bringing their plants indoors now. And that was a listener request. So yeah. if you have requests for a top 10 list, feel free to email uh, Haley or call in and just, you know, I can usually put it together on the spot. So if you're even listening and you want, well, I usually have my top 10 list ready to go, but um, I can do the following week if you if you have an idea, let us know. Um, I do want to talk about kind of a special bird this time of year is cardinals. And I want to give you guys some facts about cardinals that uh, even I learned something when I was researching cardinals, believe it or not. So uh, all different information about cardinals. Obviously now this time of year from November through you know March is, is, is cardinal season and people get a lot of cardinals in their yards and they want to feed them and attract them. And like we talked about at the beginning of the show, sunflower seeds and safflower are the way to go. Striped sunflower... Uh, black oil, sunflower, and safflower. But something that surprised me about cardinals, one thing, the biggest thing, is that cardinals are actually a South American bird family. Most of the species of cardinals uh, in the world are in South America. There's only one that's here in, in Wisconsin and really all of northern uh, you know, northern United States and Canada. And that's uh, called, actually, the official name of our cardinal is the northern cardinal. Um so, you know, we tend to just say cardinal because it's the only one here, but it is actually the northern cardinal. But most of the other ones, in fact, all of the other ones are found in South America, which is kind of amazing uh, to me. There are about 10 other species of cardinals out there. Uh, there's one called the desert cardinal, which is actually still in North America. You see them a lot in Arizona and New Mexico, down in the desert areas, obviously. Um, the desert cardinal pretty much just looks like a female cardinal. The male and female are kind of grayish brown with red highlights. Um, there's also the red crested cardinal, which is found uh, from South America into Florida. It's kind of been spotted a couple times in Florida. So the red crested cardinals almost overall gray, but it still has the red crest on top of his head and the red head. Uh, There's one called the yellow-billed cardinal, which is a beautiful uh, cardinal, kind of like the the red-crested cardinal, gray, white, and red with a red head and crest, but it has a bright, bright yellow bill. Uh, That one is strictly South America, but it was introduced into Hawaii, so sometimes uh, if you're in Hawaii, you might see the yellow-billed cardinal. Uh, and then there's several other species that are in, you know, Brazil, Paraguay, Uruguay, uh, Colombia, and all of those places down there in South America. There's the masked cardinal, and you can Google these and look them up. They're all beautiful. The masked cardinal, the red cowled cardinal, the crimson fronted caramel, ca- caramel, I'm getting hungry, mm. cardinal. <laughs> and then there's the vermilion cardinal, which is kind of a completely different red uh, than our cardinal, and that's found in Colombia and Venezuela. Uh, in Bolivia. So most of the cardinals are actually South American birds, which is uh, surprising to me. I learned that. There's also the red-naped cardinal and the yellow cardinal. The yellow cardinal is a really cool bird. It's unlike all the other cardinals, and then it's colored yellow and black. So kind of cool. That, that is kind of cool. And I was just looking up a few oh, of these you? as you were mentioning them. Aren't they were, beautiful? They're beautiful. And what I find so fascinating is that they're not all red and yep. i think we mm-hmm. associate that beautiful vibrant bright red especially yep. when it's the dead of winter and there's that snowy branch and then mm-hmm. the cardinal comes and lands on it it's just so perfect yeah but you know yeah a lot of these yellow white browns yep. blacks yep. Uh, with just maybe twinges of red yep. in them as well yeah and the name cardinal comes from when the, when the settlers first came here they kind of um, named it a cardinal because of the cardinal you know the red 
I was going to say foliage, the red... Um, the plumage clothes, clothes? clothes oh. that the the Vatican, you know, the, the oh, Catholic Oh, sure, in the Catholic faith, yes. So, yep. I, I was going to call it plumage and foliage, <laughs> but it's, I'm so into nature, but it's their, their cardinal robes. So uh, the average lifespan of a cardinal is three years in the wild, which is kind of sad, but that's due to predation, you know, especially cats. Uh, stray cats are one of the biggest predators of songbirds right now, uh, and they do eat cardinals unfortunately mm. uh, as well as disease and accidents with cars you know most most the car accidents so but the oldest living wild cardinal uh, and they they've proven it because it was banded in pennsylvania mm. it lived 15 years and nine months wow. so isn't that amazing to know that the same cardinal was out there in, in someone's yard or visiting someone's feeder for 15 years and nine months and they They've proven it because of the the banding. So I think, kind of truthfully, I think a lot of cardinals and a lot of songbirds actually live a lot longer than we think they do, and we can prove that by banding them and, and finding, you know, when they were originally banded and when they died. Um, if we can find the the bird that's deceased with a, a band, um, I think a lot of animals actually live a lot longer than we think they do, and we can prove that by tracking them and banding them. Um, cardinals, uh, another name for cardinals, the winter redbird, because it is red. Down south, they call it the Virginia nightingale in some areas. So down in Virginia, West Virginia, uh, they call it the Virginia nightingale. And the cardinal is the official state bird of seven states, Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, North Carolina, Ohio, Virginia, and West Virginia. So that oh. whole area down there pretty much is, mm. is cardinal territory. You know, we think of them as so common up here, mm -hmm. but there's even more uh, down south of us. Um, unlike most songbirds, which are your little perching birds, cardinals are non-migratory. So uh, most of the songbirds, as you know, they're gone. They, they've left and they've gone south for now. Your orioles and tanagers and thrushes and all of that, but the cardinals stay all year. They're they're pretty much non-migratory. Some might migrate a short distance, you know, to south in some states, the far northern states, but most of them stay right where they are, uh, as we see here. Mm -hmm. They are also monogamous and stay together year-round, which is pretty cool. Aww. Yep. And the other cool thing about cardinals that's unique to their, to these birds compared to other songbirds, at least, you know, uh, is that, that both sexes sing. So when they start to sing, uh, the male and female are both singing away. And most other birds, like orioles and tanagers and grosbeaks and all that, uh, it's just the male that sings um, because that's his courtship display. But here, uh, the cardinals, both sexes sing, which is pretty cool. That is cool. I'll yeah. add another thing that's not necessarily nature-related, yeah. but I know a lot of people find connection mm -hmm. in the cardinal, and it's representative of a loved one who yep. has passed. It is. And it, it's just, yes, yeah, very special connection, I think, for so many people out there. Yeah, and it's very traditional. I mean, a lot of, you know, not to get depressing, but a lot of the the funeral um, homes and the, the florists that do memorials and stuff like that, they always have cardinal-themed, you know, um, statuary and stepping stones and sayings and stuff because the cardinals are, and wind chimes and all sorts of stuff because the cardinal is such a, a revered um, sign of a loved one, you know, an angel almost. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah, beautiful. It's special. It's always the male too. Yes, <laughs> yes, that bright red yeah. coming to visit, you can, you can spot them instantly. Yeah. And it always means someone there is watching over you. 100%. I think. I believe it. Yeah. yeah. Let's take a short break. Uh, when we come back, more with Rob Zimmer, of course. Well, we'd love to talk with you as well if you've got a question or want to share with us an idea for getting kids outside or truly anything. Uh, the world is your oyster. The show is your oyster. We can talk about whatever you want. Yeah. Oysters included, if you'd like. <laughs> 920-281-1150 is that number. We'll take a short break and share today's Garden Bite with you right now on WHBY. 
are back with Outdoors with Rob Zimmer. Want to mention a, an opportunity for you if you are wondering, what should I do with these pumpkins on my porch? Don't, mm-hmm. don't throw them in the garbage. Don't throw them away. Nope. Don't throw them away. First of all, if you live in an outdoor area, put them outside and let the animals have a little snack. Yeah. Chipmunks and doing. squirrels and deer and turkeys and even little chickadees and stuff love pumpkins. They love them. Mm-hmm. But even cuter, pigs love pumpkins. Yes, pigs love pumpkins. <laughs> and we've talked about saving snouts, I think, briefly. Rob's mentioned mm-hmm. them. You know the... The owner of yeah. Saving Snouts, correct? Yeah, such a great organization. If you haven't heard of them, Saving Snouts are located in Kakana. They're an organization that, uh, they're basically a pig rescue. If you like think a pig of sanctuary. Pig sanctuary, mm-hmm. yep. So they rescue these pigs that have, some of them just have, you know, heartbreaking stories of, you know, abuse and, and being lost or being, you know, had to, they had to, the owners had to give them up and they, they end up at this sanctuary in Kakana, but they love pumpkins they do so and they're doing an event this sunday where you can donate your pumpkins and meet the pigs you can take a little tour yes so their pumpkin recycling event is happening this sunday november 6th from 10 a.m to 5 p.m the address is n255 de bruin road in kakana and they've got this information on their Facebook page as well, which is just saving snouts. So the pigs love it. They had pumpkins galore last year, as they write here. And mm. inst- I would also make sure to note, too, don't donate pumpkins that you've painted or glued yeah. or put, you know, yep. um, things in. But Just pumpkins. Just pumpkins. <laughs> plain old pumpkins. They'll take them. Uh, again, Sunday, November 6th from 10 to 5 at uh, N25-5 De Bruin Road in Kakana. Yes, and bring your pumpkins and let them go to good use. Those pigs will just love it. And it helps the sanctuary out too because obviously it's food that they don't have to pay for. Exactly. Uh, and you get to it's meet these amazing pigs. It's yeah. a win-win. Yes. I do want to go to our inbox. We have a message from Tim today asking about raspberry bushes, black and red raspberry bushes. He says they're kind of out of control. How far should I cut them back or just let the rabbits <laughs> the rabbits do it? <laughs> I like that. Yeah, if your rabbits eat them, great. Uh, sometimes that makes it worse, though. Then they come back bushier uh, than ever. So you may want to do a little bit of both, pruning them back and um uh, letting the rabbits do it if you, if you have rabbits that are up there eating. But yeah, black and red raspberries can get pretty uh, dense and thick if they're if they're left to go every couple of years or for a couple of years. Um, rather than cut back, though, I like to actually reach, I mean, it's going to be hard, reach down and actually pull out like every third cane or so. Um, like, you know, maybe 30% of the canes just reach down in there and yank that out or snip it off down at the base rather than just taking a shears and chopping them back. Because if you just take a shears and chop them back, you know, horizontally, they're just going to bush back up like crazy. But if you can actually reach in or take a long pruners and get way down to ground level uh, and prune out or even just pull out, depending how, how the soil is, uh, if it's really sandy or really rich soil, they, they sometimes just pull out. Maybe just pull out every third cane or so. That, that kind of... Um, thins them out better than just chopping them back. So hopefully that helps. And and then you'll get, of course, um, they'll grow back like crazy. It was <laughs> a great year for raspberries, it was. though, and blackberries yeah. this year. Yeah, the other option is just going around, you know, taking a spade and just ch- taking out chunks of them if they're really thick. But, you know, put hand pruning out about a third by reaching down in and pulling them out, kind of like you do with hydrangeas. Uh, some, some of the hydrangeas just reach down in and pull out the cane rather than taking the shears and shearing them off horizontally. Hopefully that helps. All right. Yeah. I had a couple reader questions too, or yes. listener questions, I should say. 
they're not readers, they're listeners. Um, uh, one lady asked, what is milk or what kind of wildlife benefits from milkweed? So uh, there are a lot. That's actually a really good question. Obviously, everyone thinks of monarchs and knows that monarchs mm-hmm. benefit from milkweed. But there are a lot of other species, too. Uh, all kinds of birds use milkweed for both a food source and for shelter. Um, chickadees love um milkweed especially the fluff they'll take the fluff and they'll go into an old bird nest or a bluebird nest or a box of some sort and they'll just stuff it full of fluff and they'll rest in there all winter long which is kind of cool to see and of course the birds eat the seeds too like your chickadees and goldfinches and tree sparrows and house sparrows and all different birds even the wrens and stuff that stay a lot of mammals use it too. Uh, in fact, a lady posted on my Facebook page that she has field mice that she enjoys mm-hmm. take the fluff and go into her birdhouse and, and fill it with fluff and spend the winter in there, which is pretty cool too. Chipmunks also will do that. They'll take the fluff underground and use it as, as almost bedding. Uh, and then the plant itself, you know, the pods, lots of different insects, bees and beetles and wasps and stuff will actually overwinter in that pod. Or if the stem is busted off, they'll actually go into the hollow stem and nest in there. So a lot of different wildlife use it. Hummingbirds love the flowers when the flowers are blooming. Mm. Just about every species of butterfly loves the flowers when the flowers are blooming. Uh, and you can even eat them. I mean, milkweed's a, a, a one of the top edible plants. You can prepare it a lot of different ways. A lot of people call the flowers honeysuckle because you can take them and suck out the nectar just like lilacs or columbine. Interesting. So a lot of different uh, creatures use milkweed as um, a resource. The other question I got was my friend Sally. She asked, uh, why are there no geese at Horicon right now? Uh, and it's, it's kind of an interesting question that covers a lot of different angles. For, for, well, for one thing, uh, she was there at the wrong time of day. She was there at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, and all of the geese at Horicon, when, it, when, it's, when it's from, you know, say, 10 o'clock till 2 or 3 o'clock or so, the geese are all out in the fields surrounding Horicon. They fly for miles out to all the surrounding cornfields, wherever they're freshly um, harvested in soybean fields and stuff. In the middle of the day, they're going to be out of the marsh eating. Um, out in the cornfields but sunrise and sunset are a great time to see them if you're there at sunrise you know thousands of geese fly out and it's really amazing uh, to watch them leave the marsh and then at sunset you know they all come back at once which is really cool too so if you're there at sunset you see you know these thousands of geese come back into the marsh and cranes too not just the geese okay um the other thing is though it's been too warm mm-hmm. uh, it's really been very warm uh, this time of year usually about thanksgiving is peak time for geese at Horicon. A lot of people go there in October because the weather's nicer and it's beautiful and all the colors and everything, but the geese usually don't peak until Thanksgiving week into early December, and that, that's the time that it, there can be, you know, a quarter of a million or half a million birds there on any given day. But it's been too warm this year, and they're all still, you know, up here and around uh, north of us because nothing's frozen yet. The other thing is kind of a, a shift in migrating behavior of geese. If uh, The last decade or two, a lot of the geese in our area, um, they're just hanging out at retention ponds. You know, if you're in Darboy, you know yeah. there are tens of thousands of geese at the retention ponds in Darboy. And really, uh, up by Thrivent, too, Thri- the Thrivent ponds, there can be, you know, five or 10,000 geese there. Uh, so instead of all going to one place like Horicon, these, these goose flocks are, are shifting their behavior and just going to all these little retention ponds where if you, you know, you have 100 retention ponds with 1,000 geese at each one, uh, that's 100,000 geese that normally would go to Horicon. So it's kind of, a, kind of a fascinating 
shift in their migration behavior because as one group, one family, you know, one set of parents brings their young to these new retention ponds, their young will end up bringing their families there too, and it kind of shifts the whole dynamic. Um, eventually, though, as all these little retention ponds start to freeze, they do end up at Horicon or in that area. So it's just a few weeks early, I think, too. Okay. I yeah. want to squeeze in one more oh, listener sure. email coming from Debbie, kind of a time-sensitive one, so I want to get this out there. Oh. Uh, Debbie found a banded dead parakeet when they were raking today. She's parakeet. wondering what to oh. do, wondering if maybe that's a pet of someone's or if it's banded. I don't know. I bet it is. I saw I saw a Facebook post. I think it was like on the one of the Fox City's lost pets just a couple of weeks ago. I don't know where Debbie is, but someone had reported a lost parakeet. So I wonder if that's the bird. Um, you could post it on there. I don't know if you're on Facebook, but on the, the, I think it's Fox Valley lost pets or something like that, depending where you're located. Someone was looking for a parakeet. So you might want to put it on there and just say you found it. And if it has a band number, um, you know, you could put that on there and maybe someone will claim it if, if they're watching that. But that does happen. Parakeets, um, escape a lot of times yeah. and people have them outside especially the weather's been so nice i remember dennis the monarch guy who used to call in the time he had a parakeet at his house for months even during the middle of winter that came and fed with the house sparrows and the robins and stuff so uh, it does happen you could also call like one of the pet stores like um, pet supplies plus or, or some one of those places and just ask them what you should do if you should do anything or if they can figure out where that bird came from from the band so, like, um, I think pets, whatever one's up in the Northern Mall, is that Pet Supplies Plus or Pet? I'm not familiar. I think. I would, I would call one of them places and just say, you know, you found this parakeet. Uh, can they do anything with the band number or can they send out word? Um, but I know I did see one on the Fox Valley Lost Pets Facebook page that someone, uh, parakeet escaped. So I wonder if that's the same one. All right. Yeah. Hopefully some direction there for you. Yeah. And uh, if anyone... Has any other advice, uh, you can always give us a call, 920-281-1150. We'll take a short break. When we come back, Rob's top 10 list. Well, I love a rainy night. I love a rainy night. I love to hear the thunder. Watch the lightning when it lights up the sky. Welcome back to Outdoors with Rob Zimmer on WHBY. I feel like we're detectives here, Rob. We're trying to figure out more for Debbie on this bird. Um, Mm -hmm. I will just say that I did find, I did Google quickly uh, what to do if you find a banded bird. And the the Aiken Audubon Society does have an article that links you to the federal government. I don't know if that is a place you can pop in that band number, but... um, Possibly, possibly. Yeah. I don't a lot know. of times those are for wild, you know, native birds, and uh, but who knows? They, who knows? There, there's websites for homing pigeons. If people find homing pigeons with bands, they can enter it in. Maybe there is a parakeet band website. Yeah, I'll Google. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> or like I said, if, if there is, Pet Supplies Plus would know. So or wherever they sell birds locally, I think that would be a good place to start. Um, I do want to talk about a, speaking of birds, a couple updates on birds. Uh, like we talked about the re, the listener question about the geese. Another thing that's kind of running late this year is the tundra swan migration. Usually November first is is the start of tundra swan migration, but again, it's been so warm, not just here, but everywhere north and west of us too. Uh, I did see a post on the Upper Mississippi National Wildlife Refuge website that the tundra swans are beginning to arrive there, and that's usually where they go before they come here. They start to flock up on the Mississippi River by the tens of thousands. I mean, in the next couple weeks, there will be thousands and thousands of thousands showing up there. 
uh, especially from like like Lacrosse North up to Winona, Minnesota, Brownsville areas. Um, uh, into deer hunting, there'll be thousands and thousands of swans there. So if you if you go onto their website or their Facebook page and just kind of follow their page, they'll give you updates. Uh, but there's only about 50 there right now. I saw about 20 swans this week at Collins Marsh, oh. which is just uh, up, up by Collins. But I, I'm pretty sure they were really far out. I'm pretty sure those were all trumpeter swans, which are resident here pretty much all all year. So the true migratory tundra swans are are still coming, and they're beginning to to pile up along the Mississippi River. Um, I remember many years during deer hunting, you know, being out there in the woods at, before light, and tundra swans migrate at night. So you're out there in the woods where it's pure dark, and you hear the tundra swans going over, and it was just incredible. So uh, they're still coming. Sandhill cranes are still here by the thousands. There's sandhill cranes pretty much everywhere. Um, I was up um, Mulberry Lane Farm up by High Cliff. There were hundreds of cranes right in their field there, um, but all the traditional places, Navarino, Shano, um, Nesita, Brilliant, Collins, Horicon, they all have thousands of cranes right now at each place. Uh, and as long as it stays fairly warm, which it's, it's going to for at least the next week, uh, they're not going anywhere. They're going to keep piling up. Three minutes? Okay. Three-minute warning. All right. I got the three-minute warning, so I'm going to do my top ten list. <laughs> this is my top ten. <laughs> this is by request also. Top ten indoor plants for low light. And a lot of these, you know, houseplants are so much fun to, to buy, and you can get really unusual ones. Uh, at several different places around here. I love going to Waters Farms in Nina. They have the, the most unique selection of houseplants there um, that you can imagine. So the ones for low light, and they will help you there too, find plants for low light. But low light is generally considered um, not in front of a not in front of a direct light source, like a window. So low light can be in a corner or several feet away from the window, or some of these will even um, grow in literally no light. So... Number 10 is, uh, what is number 10? <laughs> Do I have a number 10? I see it right there. Where? Up, up, up. That says 10 out 1, 2. Oh. <laughs> oh, I have two number 9s. That's why. There you okay. go. <gasps> that was tricky. Number 10 is ponytail palm. Ponytail palm is a unique version of a palm tree. It has usually like a big, wide bulb at the base, and then it kind of narrows to a peak, and then you have the frond foliage that kind of cascades down from that like an umbrella. That's a really good palm for low light. And actually a lot of the palms are excellent for low light, your, like your parlor palm and others. Uh, number nine are ferns. All your different ferns, your indoor maiden hairs and your um, all your different Hartley ferns and everything else, those are great for low light. Staghorn fern is another one. Number eight are the prayer plants. Prayer plants are beautiful. Sometimes they're called peacock plants because their feather or their their plant leaves look like peacock feathers. And some of them are purple and green and gold and all different colors. Those love low light or do well in low light. Number seven are spider plants, which are so easy to grow. You know, you can hang them. You can put them in a tall pot and let them kind of cascade over. You can leave them in a little four or six inch pot. They do great uh, and they're good for low light. In fact, if you put them in too bright light, they, they brown out on you. Uh, number six is pothos. Pothos is your traditional vining plant. There's several different kinds. There's the old-fashioned heartleaf um, philodendron. There's the uh, all the different colors of pothos, Brazil and golden and all the other ones. Those are great for low-light situations. Number five, one of my favorite, are the Chinese evergreens. Chinese evergreens are so beautiful. They come in all different colors, shades of green and speckles and stripes, and there's pink ones and red ones. And they do very well in low light and low water. Number four 
is monsteras, your big old Swiss cheese plants. Those do excellent <laughs> in, in low light, and they call them Swiss cheese plants because mm-hmm. they have holes in the leaves, which are really cool. Number three are all of the different philodendrons. There's hundreds and hundreds of different philodendrons uh, to choose from in all different colors and shapes and sizes. Some are vining, some are upright, some are more almost like a bush, kind of shrubby, but they're all beautiful, and there's so many unique ones out there to collect and enjoy. Number two, another one of my favorites is the snake plant or Sansevieria. There's lots of different snake plants. Those are the, some people call them mother-in-law's tongue. Uh, Those are excellent. And number one house plant for low light that I just love is the ZZ plant. Z is in Zimmer, Z is in Zimmer uh, plant. And it's a beautiful kind of like upright frond. Uh, It's very shiny, very waxy. It comes in green. And there's several new black ones out there, which are really cool. And really no light, no water, and your ZZ plant will thrive. Pretty. And bonus one, I you have yeah. don't have succul- succulents on the list. Oh, succulents. Well, succulents kind of, they're like a cactus. They like a little bit of brighter light, but some of them will oh, do fine yeah. in, in low light. Yeah. All right. Like hens and chicks and some of the other ones. Yeah. Amazing show today. Thanks yeah. for being here, Rob. Thank you. And uh, thanks for all the listener questions and emails. We mm-hmm. love hearing from you. Yeah. Rob's back next week, Friday. We're back with Focus Fox Valley after this. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.